I've listened to I Like It When You Sleep for You Were So Beautiful Yet So Unaware of It by the 1975 for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. not have picked a longer title for an album compared to what we just did no you're right the last album that we did was fragile this one is i like it when you sleep for you are so beautiful yet so unaware of it many more syllables but hold that thought hi everyone welcome back to spin it the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music i'm james and with me is connor that's me it sounds you sound dejected that you didn't come up with a catchphrase yet no the writing department hasn't gotten back to me. You've had all week to think about it. I'm just a little surprised that it's taken so long to come up with anything. Look at how well they did on their last assignment we gave them. We finished it for them in a week. <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is, how about some alt-pop music? How about some Brit-pop, new-wave, synth-pop, pop? How about it? How about it? That's that's the spirit. That's a good catchphrase. No, absolutely not. You don't like it? It's not got the pizzazz I'm looking it's no a it's me or whatever your catchphrase is i accuse you of having one but i don't think you really have one no i don't yours is welcome back to another episode of spinning do you know how many times i've said that uh 49 times zero i've never said welcome back to another episode of spin it except now oh so once what do you what do you say at the beginning of the episode you're here every time <laughs> It's been almost a year. I, I'm a master procrastinator, and so I don't think about what I'm going to say at the start of the episode until I hear you start to speak at the beginning of the episode, and then I panic, try to come up with something, which is why it usually defaults to it's me. <laughs> Uh, that makes sense now that you mention it. Also, for those of you listening not on the website, this episode, based on how we've started so far, is definitely going to be a B-side cut. It's also a very long album, 17 tracks. And so over on the website, we'll talk about all 17 of them and have, you know, all kinds of fun times. This week, we're talking about the 1975. I know you weren't around in the year 1975. You don't know that. Do I not know that? Can I not say that with certainty? I don't know. Are you a squirrel? Can you do the math to figure out how old I am and when I would have been born? Certainly not 1975. Are you, are you certain, though? Yeah. Did you did you carry the one? No. Gotcha. I don't know what that bit was. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> eh, add it to the reject pile. Anyway, tell me about 1975. How about that? Yeah, I'm going to tell you everything you ever wanted to know about the 1975. Okay. They were formed, contrary to popular belief, in 2002. Oh, I was definitely around for that. Yeah, you were. And they're based out of Manchester, England. I'll tell you what, it's been like 14 episodes since we've done a band that hasn't undergone lineup changes. We've done so many bands. Is this one of them? This is a band that's never had a member change. It, they've always been wow. a group of high school friends. Spinet Consistency Award. We've gone from the most full-time members ever in Yes with... With 19 all the way down to the band that's never changed their core four we've got matt healy on vocals and guitar and he's also the primary songwriter for the group the lyricist right so a lot of the things that you'll hear the themes that we'll talk about those are the brainchild of matt healy adam hahn plays the guitar ross mcdonald is the bassist and george daniel is the drummer that's the 1975 under the sea why just every time <laughs> oh okay i got lost for a minute what you mean is every time i read the names and the instruments your brain goes to the newt played the flute the chub played the tub yep. like mm -hmm. under the sea every time 
Can't help it. Right. Before the band was called in 1975, they, they tried on several names for size, like Talk House, The Slowdown, Big Sleep, and more. All one word, by the way. I like Big Sleep. It very much parallels... <laughs> The way that they come up with their song titles. I could use a big sleep right now. I bet you could. Take a big nap. But what happened was they encountered the phrase, the 1975, scribbled into the back of a copy of Jack Kerouac's novel, On the Road. And they said, oh, that's so cool. Let's do it. In the band's early days, they covered punk rock songs all around their hometown club scene until they, quote unquote, eventually wrote a song, as Matt Healy describes it. It just kind of happened one day. Before putting out their debut self-titled album, the band released a series of four EPs that they consider essential to people understanding their sound. In an interview, Healy said, We wanted to make sure we could express ourselves properly before dropping this long, ambitious debut record on people. And he was very right. The band was selling out shows before the LP was even released. That long, ambitious album, self-titled, right, called The 1975, it came out in 2013, featuring 16 tracks. Several would pick up airplay and chart in the UK and the US, including Sex, Chocolate, and The City. Their first album, by the way, is phenomenal. And I really wasn't sure whether I wanted to go with that one or this one. But here we are. Here we we are. I think I like it when you sleep scratches a different itch than their debut record. And it's an itch that I wanted the podcast to scratch. Yeah. So while in this early stage, after they released that album, they opened for bands like Bastille, Muse, and even the Rolling Stones. And their solo tours took them from everywhere, like the Royal Albert Hall to Coachella. They really got around. In early June of 2015, which has now been seven years, that's insane, the band started to tease their new project on social media, which is a tactic that they love to do. They cleared off all their socials, and they go dark for a bit, which leads to all kinds of speculation. You know, what's the next project? What's it going to be? When's it coming? Do they still exist? Do they break up? Whatever. The new project that they were teasing this time was their sophomore album i like it when you sleep for you are so beautiful yet so unaware of it the teasers came well in advance of the record's release right i mentioned they cleared all their socials in june 2015 the record didn't come out until february 26th 2016 couple months they had to anticipate and wait after this album they've released a live album from london's o2 arena and a pair of albums that are that kind of thematically go together right and they're called a Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships and Notes on a Conditional Forum in 2018 and 2020, respectively. I've listened to one of those. I haven't made it all the way up to Notes on a Conditional Forum yet, but I did listen to A Brief Inquiry in Online Relationships. It's, an, it's a bit of a new direction, a branch out, if you will. Award-wise, you know, I know this, they're only on their, what, fourth album now, but they've got some awards. They won a BBC Music Award for a cover of One Direction's What Makes You Beautiful. That's what made you beautiful. Yeah, that's the one. Do you, do you think you'll win a BBC Music Award for the cover that you just did right there? I better. I better. <laughs> <laughs> Cough it up, BBC. Add a cover of 1975's cover of That's What Makes You Beautiful. Oh, you covered the cover. Add that to the list of tracks for Connor's Hippin' and Hoppin' album. It's not really Hippin' and Hoppin', but I'll allow it. That's what'll make it the cover. We'll hip and hop it. Oh, okay. We'll hip and hopify the cover. Boy, I'd love to see you try. The 1975 has three Brit Awards, two for British Group, and their third album won British Album of the Year. They've been nominated for two Grammys and six MTV Awards, and their stage shows, this is a new award for us, their stage shows won a Night of Illumination Award for their light design and effects. Hmm. Yeah, and, and it's night with a K, like knight, sword, and armor. Oh, weird. Night of Illumination. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. So this week, of course, we're talking about the very briefly titled I Like It When You Sleep For You Are So Beautiful Yet So Unaware Of It, 
probably from here on out, simply referred to as I like it when you sleep. That was Connor trying to pronounce the acronym. <laughs> Didn't work out, did it? No, I gave up about halfway through, but then decided to try to finish it. So yeah. The beginning and the end was good, but the middle was a lot of whatever. I gave up but decided to continue. <laughs> Story of my life. You just have to say the acronym. You just have to say all the letters individually. You can't try and pronounce it. I-L-I-W-Y-S-F-Y-A-S-B-Y-S-U-O-I. That's it. You gotta stick with that. Which is almost longer than just saying the thing. <laughs> no, I think it is longer. We're talking about that album. Their sophomore album. If you haven't heard it and you want the context, get ready for a long listen. It's 17 tracks. The album is, is pretty lengthy, but there's a lot to dig into. It's a very deliberate fusion of genres. Pop, electronic pop, new wave, dance rock. Calling it dance rock is a stretch for me, but I've seen it classified as that, so I'll entertain the idea. This massive 17-track record was supported by seven singles. Its runtime is a pretty whopping 75 minutes, one and one quarter hours. The album topped the charts in the U.S. and the U.K., despite its length and it earned one of the band's two grammy nominations nme stereo gum billboard and pitchfork put it on their list of the top albums from the last decade it's certified platinum in the uk and gold in the usa totaling more than 800,000 units sold and uh, after the record was released the band did a world tour in support of it with stops in the uk usa asia oceania and europe and they even made it to mexico for the first time they played nine festivals during this period too performing a total of more than 150 shows for the album cycle, which is a heck of a lot. But that's what I've got about the 1975. And uh, in honor of this being a B-side cut, and to commemorate the the 1,975th minute of this podcast that happened somewhere around episode 31, I think the mixtaper is prepared with 1,975 facts for our B-side episode, right? Is that Do I understand correctly? Don't, don't tempt him. <laughs> I, I just thought that's what we were doing. I, did he not get the email? Don't incur that raft. Oh, God. What did I just say? I think that was correct. <laughs> no, I said raft instead of raft. Don't, don't incur that raft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> don't incur that raft. You really are tired. Yeah, I need the big sleep or whatever that was. <laughs> You need big sleep. Well, go get some big sleep. <laughs> I think it's time we wake up the mixtaper for his 1,975 facts. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper, with 1,975 facts. It's going to be a really long B-side. It's the 1975 special. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a really long B-side if we stick to that. Four facts is already... My first fact... Oh, we got to get going. No, no time to waste. I have 1,975 facts. Uh... I see what you've done here, <laughs> and I'm going to hope, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that this one's a spin. This is a fact. No, My second no. fact, that first one was a fact. Oh, okay, so we're just... We're getting real paradoxical on this episode of Spin It. <laughs> Your first fact was that you have 1975 of them. Your next fact was that the first one was true. Yep. And, and are your next are your next 1,970 facts all relating back to the veracity of the first fact? Uh, yes, until we get down to our last five. So whatever. All right. <laughs> fact number 1971. Here we go. <laughs> all right. Uh, they were in a musical. Oh, ooh, in a musical. 
what kind of a musical? Like one that we've known, an established musical that they played roles in, or an, a special new musical that they were like the brand new stars of? The first one. Okay, which musical was that? A chorus one. Oh, I haven't seen that one. But that's the one that invented the can-can, right? The dance? Uh, I'm gonna go with yes. Maybe? I don't know. Maybe I'm just making things up. What parts did they have in this musical? Matt played Zach, Adam played Larry, Ross played Don, and George played Greg. No way. George played Greg? Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> I don't know who those characters are. <laughs> I, that pretty much meant nothing to me. I don't either. I haven't seen the musical either. So how'd they land the parts? Are they significant speaking and singing parts, or are they kind of like side characters, background roles? No, they're, they're pretty significant. Zach and Larry are the like main male leads. Oh, okay. It says, the show opens during an audition for an upcoming Broadway production. The formidable director, Zach, and his assistant choreographer, Larry, put the 24 dancers through their paces. Every dancer is desperate for work. After a round of cuts, 17 dancers remain. Zach tells them he's looking for a strong eight-member dancing chorus of four boys and four girls. And this continues on for several paragraphs. I'm not going to read the whole synopsis. Please don't. Please don't. (laughs) Okay, so what level was this production put on at? You know, they were high school friends. Is this a high school theater production? Perhaps. Perhaps does not answer the question exactly. (laughs) Yes, it was. It was. Okay, awesome. That that was the buried lead. I dug it up. I finally dug one up. Did they like it? Have they talked about it? Yeah, they had fun. Cool. I'm going to say this is a spin. A spin? Yeah. What makes you say spin? Well, I'm going to say it's a spin because there's something that i don't know i guess high school was was we we did high school theater too yep and i don't know just based on the style of their music and something about the the whole attitude of it it's hard for me to imagine that all four of them would have done theater in high school okay then i don't know they're good storytellers and they definitely like they put a lot of heart into their music and is very performative in a certain not like acting performative, but it definitely displays a lot of emotion, I guess. But I don't think it translates into acting. All right. Well, if you're going with if you're going with spin, I'm going with spin. My answer is this is a spin. Yes. Oh, good. This is spin. In fact, I was originally going to make it uh, that it wasn't in high school, but when you suggested that, I was like, yeah, let's go with that. That that sounds better than what I had. Oh, okay. That's why it was a perhaps. I forgot that they all went to high school together. (laughs) I was just going to say that it was a limited run off Broadway. Off Broadway? Why would they? They're Londonites. (laughs) Because they wanted to get away from the stress of constantly touring and as a way to unwind and take a break. Going to be my reasoning. Well, it was okay reasoning that you didn't get to use and... It wouldn't have changed my answer. In fact, probably would have made me more sure of spin. I'm just going to move right along. Right. Fact, 1972. Yes, 1972. Matt owns an eight-pound camera. Matt owns an eight-pound camera. That's a really specific weight. Okay, so how much does a normal film camera weigh? Like, you know, for movies and stuff, surely it's already more than eight pounds. So what... This is like this is like a camera like... You just take like home, like a home camera, not like a movie camera. Right. Okay. So is it like vintage, like uh, like a VCR camera? Yes. Yeah, well, it's a digital camera. Okay. Because I definitely, I think now that you mentioned it, we've probably had some eight pound cameras around my house way back in the early two thousands. Because this is a vintage Kodak digital camera that weighs eight pounds. It takes .01 megapixel black and white photographs, and they're recorded onto a cassette tape. One image takes nearly 23 seconds to take. It could only be seen when the camera was connected to a television set. Oh, oh, what? Yes. You have to hold still for 23 seconds. Then the only way to see it is to plug it into the TV. Correct. Can you print photos off of the cassette tape? Or, I mean, what can you do with them? Uh, I don't know. I assume you can somehow get 
get them made into hard copies. But there's not like a screen on the camera to let you see how the cam- how the image turned out without hooking it up to a TV. Is I think the the description here that I'm reading. Right. Okay. What kind of what kind of camera could you not print out your, your uh, pictures? That'd be a dumb camera. You're right. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But I don't know what things used to be like. Okay, so is this a thing he's acquired in his like general adulthood? Is he a collector or an enthusiast? What's what's the story? No, he just found it at a flea market, thought it was cool. Oh, okay. Just discovered it. Yeah. How much did he pay for it? Uh, I don't know. How much is it worth? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Let's play Guess That Dollar Amount. Cool. I'm going <laughs> to say a camera with such versatility, such high-quality image capture functionality... And uh, so many diverse uses is probably worth about 15 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> the The problem is it's vintage now, and that might make it worth more. I don't know. Yeah. Everybody wants to do Polaroids and whatnot. I, I just don't know. Full disclosure, I didn't have a dollar amount when we played this, when we started this game. So I was <laughs> frantically trying to find it. Oh, no, you just started the game <laughs> without a dollar amount. <laughs> you have to guess that dollar amount, too. Wait, before you find it, I want your answer. Uh, I bet you, like, so if you were buying one today that you found vintage, it'd probably be a couple hundred bucks because of the vintage side to it. But I bet you back then, being the first digital camera, it was pretty expensive. A couple hundred bucks. You think getting the camera today for a couple hundred bucks is not pretty expensive? Right. Well, you probably would have got it for, like, what, like 25 bucks back when it was created but that inflated would be worth more than the couple hundred you'd spend today on it i feel like your numbers is what is kind of like where my logic's at i feel like your numbers are way off what what's the actual number i don't know i can't find one you can't find one <laughs> i'm struggling what's the camera i can i can look too i don't know well first hang on before we get too distracted factor spin i think this one is a fact um i i suppose i don't know he seems like a, an eclectic fella Someone who might collect things. I mean, look at what well, we're about to talk about, the album cover and some of the accompanying artwork for this album. It's very reliant on a certain aesthetic. And even in the music, you can hear that he's kind of a, a guy, and this is a band that's built around a style. So I think it's not unreasonable to assume he would go out of his way to find cool things that maybe would match that style or influence it. I'm going to say this is a fact. This is a spin. Oh, man. Is it only a seven-pound camera? <laughs> I really can't find a cost on this thing. Maybe it never existed. Yeah, well, I based it off of a real camera. I just can't find a cost for it. Yeah, how did you decide that this camera was something you wanted to talk about? Uh, kind of came up with the idea. <laughs> cool. Oh, here we go. Here we go. The very first digital camera was an experimental model made by some guy. Some guy. I love him. I'm seeing a thing here that says a, another one that was invented around that same time would have cost $25 then, which would have been $705 in 2018. So I think my numbers aren't quite as off as maybe you thought. Maybe not. But that's for a different one than this one. So you could still be right. Maybe this one was special. That's so interesting. Yeah. Who, who knew? Digital cameras. Anyway, enough about digital cameras and how he doesn't own one that's eight pounds. No, he doesn't. My next one for you, uh, the band sold bread and milk. Sold bread and milk? Yep. Was it branded like the 1975 bread? No. No? Just random bread? Random milk? Yeah. Who'd they sell to? Who's their Who's their market? People who attended a Houston Food Bank concert that they performed at in 2020. What? Okay. Mm-hmm. Houston Food Bank has a concert. What's the goal of this concert? To raise money? Yeah, to raise money to then help feed the homeless. So why sell bread and milk? I mean, yeah, you're, you're raising money. Well, you see, there was a bit of a, of a, of a bit here to 
selling the bread and the milk. They sold the milk for 46 cents and the loaves of bread for 33 cents because that's what they cost in the year 1975. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's what I'm telling you. Hold on. So the point was to raise money. Yep. And they took heavy losses on selling all the bread and all the milk. According to this article is the band bought a bunch, you know, paid for the bread and the milk and then sold it for 46 cents and 33 cents. So really they made an additional 46 or 33 cents on top of whatever the band donated. Got it. It was donated bread and milk. Yes. They didn't okay. just sell bread and milk at a loss. I was like, man, the food bank really needs to get their act together. It's like the opposite of how it's supposed to go to raise money. Selling it at a loss. Right, I know. <laughs> how much did they sell? Uh, they sold 20,000 loaves of bread and 18,000 gallons of milk. Wow. Okay. And how much had they bought? Did they sell their whole stock? Or did they have like thousands of loaves of bread left over? Who's to say? Who's to say? I don't know. I, ha- I don't have that why would they gimmick the price like that why wouldn't it just be like a dollar for each why would it be all this is what it cost in 1975 a year that none of us were alive because they're the band the 19 the the band the 1975 yeah i know but they frequently they frequently like shirk the fact that they have anything to do with that it's not like a part of their identity aside from the name if you're looking for a fun little bit to do with a charity thing and your band's name is 1975 i think it makes sense but that's for you to decide i guess I'd change my name to no. Sounds like you're leaning spin on this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you're leaning spin on this one, though. I'm I'm not sure what to think about this one, to be honest. The logistics of distributing 18,000 gallons of milk at a concert kind of elude me. I I feel like this is a fact, though. Some For some reason. I don't like that this feels like a fact, but I think I'm going to go ahead and say that this might be true. Well, you might be wrong. This is a spin. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known the whole time. That was too. Yeah. That was too. Uh, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to use the name of the band in some fun way. And this was that. That was that was pretty illogical. Yeah. Well, I was hoping that the if I kept it illogical, that would throw you more than if I had reasons for everything. Honestly, what did it was when you said. So you sound like you're leaning spin, and I went... Mm, you're like, oh, he wants me to go spin. I, I got you there with the accidental uh, mind games. You did. Or, I mean, the on-purpose mind games. Haha, I knew what I was doing all along. Uh, evil, evil. And now for the 1,975th fact of the episode. Well, we're, on the, we're only we're only in number 74. We have a classic four plus a bonus one for the B-siders. Oh, oh, well, I've been numbering them wrong the whole time then. So we started with 1970. You started with 70, right? Didn't you start with 70? No, I started with 71. Oh, did you? Yeah, I didn't know there were five. No, well, then that's right. No, yeah, 71, 72, 73, 74, and then 75 would be the fifth one. You're right. You're right. I am right. You just skipped four. The squirrels outside my window are giving me a thumbs up. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> The math department is helping me along today. Well, my fourth one and final one for the normal side listeners, they all have pet rocks. <laughs> oh, I love it. They all have pet rocks? Yep. Did they, did they choose to all have pet rocks or were they just a gift? No, they, they made them. 
They made them. Mm-hmm. How? Why? Like, what was the occasion? Was it a bonding experience? You need an occasion to make a pet rock? It probably was, but uh, no, they just made giant pet rocks of themselves. You know there's one guy in the band that's like, this isn't what I thought we meant when we said we were getting stoned. But yeah, they made giant pet rocks of themselves. Uh, of themselves? Mm-hmm. They made giant pet rocks of themselves. Yes. So the pet rocks resembled them? I mean, loosely, yeah. They put googly eyes and hair that match each of the members. Yep. The googly eyes that match everybody in the band. What? <laughs> you know, like, like the color of the googly eyes matches the color of each band member, and then the hair color matches. Okay. The style. Weird. And so you say giant. How giant were these pet rocks? Uh, five foot tall rocks. Five? What? <laughs> That's not, a, that's, that's not what I was thinking. That's like a... Oh, I did say giant pet rocks. That's giant. So yeah. what, just to have? They just made these to, to make them? They're sitting in the back of Matt Healy's cottage in Norfolk, arranged on a stage like they're performing at a concert with fake instruments. How'd they get five foot tall rocks into the back of the cottage? Did they all just like work together to go collect them? Did they have them delivered? Well, you can buy them. A, f- a five foot rock is pretty big. Okay, yeah, yeah, you could buy them from like a garden supply place. But so that's what they did then. I mean, I assume how else do you get five foot rocks, right? You're not doing that yourself. Yeah, you could. I don't know. Do they have names per chance? I would assume they're named after themselves. <sighs> this is this is weird. It is weird. <laughs> <laughs> that I can I can attest to. I'm not. I just can't call this a fact. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So you think I've gone all spins this week? I feel like this is a spin. There's no way they all have five foot tall pet rock doppelgangers, right? Locking in spin. This has this has to be a spin. Go ahead. Check the chat. <laughs> <laughs> He, he, he geared up like he was going to send a picture, and all it says is, this is a spin. This is a spin! No pet rock. Oh, that's funny. Oh, wow. That would have been awesome. Oh, yeah, I wish it was true. I was really hoping, I was really hoping that it was somehow a fact. Oh, I was, I was so hopeful. So, I guess what that does then... On the 1974th fact of the episode, although I would contest that I got the first 1,970 facts right, and thus the score would be... Well, we didn't play it out to see, uh, we'll just say we went 50-50 on them, because we didn't play it out to see which way you lean on some of them. Well, for the sake of the episode, we went 50-50 on these last four facts, and so the tiebreaker will be the B-side. Yeah, definitely gonna wanna, if you're not currently over on the B-side, get over there, because we're about to break this tie. Let's jump back over to the normal cut listeners so I can fill them in on what I did on this episode of fat or this round of factor spin. Every single spin I gave you was connected to the year 1975. I guess it was, wasn't it? 1975 is when a chorus line first debuted. The eight pound camera I based this off of first, the first prototype was created in 1975. Wow. The cost of bread and milk that was in the fact was what it cost in 1975. Pet rocks were invented in 1975. I I was aware of that. It was a, a suspicious fact and ridiculous. Very interesting, very clever, and very sneaky. And see, this just proves, since you gave five spins about five things, this just proves to me that they are in no way connected to 1975 as a band. And it's literally just a namesake. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was an exciting round of Factor Spin. The most facts we've ever done. Yeah, it's really blown the score out of the water as we come to a close on, uh, we're getting close to the end of season two. And boy, was there a lot of facts in this season. 
There sure were. So that makes the total score 75 and a half to 2,162. No, 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 no. We agree we're going 50-50 on the uh, the first 1,970. Well. That was agreed upon. Mix Saber, thank you for another wonderful round of factor spin. We'll see you again next week for another set of spins. Set of facts. Who's to say? Another set of facts or spins. That's the name of the game. Yeah. Connor, welcome back. I just now realized I still don't have a catchphrase. I was thinking the same thing, but I wasn't going to remind you. All right, so let's talk about the album art on this album cover. Are you ready? I guess. You guess. I don't want you to guess. I won't proceed until you're sure. Take your time and prepare. All right, now I'm ready. Okay, good. The artwork on this album was designed by Samuel Burgess Johnson. If you haven't seen the album art or you're not familiar with it or if you've forgotten it's, it's pretty much just a neon light in a rectangle, and in the middle, in also neon, it says the 1975 in their nifty little font. They made neon signs just like this for every song on the album, and then they took them to be photographed in different locations to, as they say, create nostalgia and detail the thematic material and complexity of each song through the photo's atmosphere. They put them on street corners, in bedrooms, cathedrals, on beaches, parks, rainy skylines, hospital waiting rooms, etc., etc. All over the place, they've got these neon signs. And honestly, I think it's really cool. It's one of the more interesting uh, supplemental artwork things that we've talked about so far. You know, we've had cool album covers, but it's not often that we get such cool bonus pictures, right? For every track at that. I've sent you a link to them if you haven't seen them and are curious. I had seen them. They're kind of, they're, they are very cool. What do you think? Does it fit the album at all? Uh, I think so. I think so, too. There's something just funky and techno-y about neon signs, so I think it fits. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I like the choice to put it on just a plain white background because so much of this album feels like the canvas for these songs is a plain white background, if that makes any sense. What does that mean? It's it's a lot to do with the, the ambience of this record, right? It's very ambient. Mm, there's a, yes, okay, there's a lot of white, noisy ambiance going on yeah and out of that they kind of just piece by piece put together what this album turns into so i think the album cover is evocative of that in a lot of ways and it's a long album this is this is another one that the clocks in pretty long like we did californication a couple weeks ago that was a 15 track album this one's got 17 uh so the only way to make sure that you get everything heard and you, you get to hear everything we have to say about this album by listening to the b-side sure it is and uh, let's let's jump right in with track one, the 1975. Interesting that they start because you said this is like their this isn't their debut album, right? No, this is their second album. So it's interesting that their sophomore album starts off with a song based off of their name. Well, you might also find it interesting that their debut album called the 1975. The, it also starts with a track called the 1975. Oh. Is it, but it's different, or is it the same one? It's a different track, but the lyrics are identical. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's included here to kind of pay tribute to their beginnings before they explode in this new, different direction and this, like, change in sound. It's kind of a, a little reflection, a little moment to breathe before we take a new turn. Yeah, it's not how I expected the album to start. Like I said, we've talked about how the album art matched my expectations but yeah, and fit with the album, but this was not what I expected the album to start off as. What were you expecting, if I, if you have a, an idea? More like what track two starts as. Mm, yeah, 
I think the very beginning opening with this soft instrumental and this this load in kind of sound it's a cool song to open this up it, it primes us into a lot of the themes and the reflective nature of everything we're about to get into it's very euphemistic it's really like sexually charged song that just is super self-indulgent in a lot of ways but also super self-deprecating a little bit oh yeah it ended up it ended up fitting really well with the album it's just not how i expected it to start sonically when i hit play yeah big choirs and synths everywhere and no well, it didn't even start with that it started with just the like you said white noise airy well sure sounded into the, the big choir and i was like this was not where i thought this was going and then track two instantly jumps in with that and i was like this is what i was expecting (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the second track is love me and it's a song for the fans it's it's actually fan service it's a song about connecting with your fans and not just letting fame make you aloof and out of touch. They instantly play with like the stereo sound. They have that ping back and forth from left to right. That guitar is great. It's one of the best moments of guitar on the album. I mean, there are other softer guitar-based songs, but just as a little flashpoint of guitar, that one sticks out. Really good. Mm-hmm. Maddie calls this song an observation on the glaringly obvious superficial elements that surround my life and the culture that I feed into. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it starts out almost with this call out, you know, hey, would you like to look outside sometimes? No, <laughs> I'm online and there's things we'd like to change. Like we're just uh, doing our thing. Doesn't matter. We don't have to look outside. Nothing's going on. They're another band that really likes the mid lyric uh, rhyme. Yeah, a lot. They like to, they like to throw, throw them in their mid line. Um, one that got me in this song was verse one like midway down they say next thing you'll find you're reading about yourself on a plane frame what a shame fame yeah fame i don't know why i said frame i don't either plane fame what a shame oh yeah it's great and i also i mean i have to highlight in a similar in a similar vein caught up in fashion car crashy in panache and a bag of bash for passion you got a beautiful face but you've got nothing to say what a that just rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls that that keeps you hooked right away and of course, the pun, the Karkrashian, Kardashian, just makes you think. I don't know. The music video for this song features cardboard cutouts of famous figures in pop culture, and they picked out a bunch of people that they admire themselves. You know, other other notable musicians have like used other people's images, but usually in a in a mean way. This one wasn't that. This was people that they actually look up to and respect, and they tried to make that like super clear. Yeah, uh, it's just a funky song. The synth is a standout on the album it certainly is very much and i think love me is one of the places it works the best although it's also pretty good on ugh should i that maybe i should sound more exasperated Ugh. Ugh. explanation mark yeah that's track track three (laughs) Uh, we probably got it close enough right this song is a pretty well disguised song at least in a musical sense pretty well disguised about the struggles of overcoming cocaine addiction and the ug represents the frustration with being unable to break the cycle unable to get out of it and get away from it it had one of my uh standout lyrics on the album Ooh, which one is it wait let me guess let me guess it's just a simple diuretic. Is that it? That was another one of my notes, but it's not the standout line. Standout line happens pretty early in the song. Actually, it's the first two lines. Hey, boy, stop pacing around the room using other people's faces as a mirror for you. I really like the using other people's faces as a mirror for you. Yeah. Line. Really good. But yes, the the diuretic and empathetic rhyme. That was a good rhyme. <laughs> That's a complicated one. That's not one we'll probably ever hear in any other song. Get the spin it diuretic award. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Ugh. Ugh. Spin it diuretic award. <laughs> oh, what a funk pop groove on this song. I, I like it. It's so easy to anticipate the return of that chorus. 
And there's so much cool synth work in the background to build this one out, fill it out in a really compelling way. Yeah, and well, and speaking of the chorus, it has a rhythm that's off of one list kind of hard to get. But I think off of multiple listens, it would become a fast favorite rhythm on the album as well. Yeah. When I was hearing it for the first time, I I couldn't instantly pick it up. But by the end of the song, I was like, yeah, a couple more listens of this and it's all I'll be singing. It's it's the only thing that'll be going on in your mind. Taking over your life a second time. They do, really. I mean, for a song about cocaine addiction, they pretty much lay it all bare. Your lungs need filling since your gums have lost their feeling. But don't say that you're giving it up again. Ooh. Yeah, it was really masked. <laughs> yeah, really. No, but the sound wise is if you were to play the instrumentals for me, just the instrumentals and say, what's this a song about? You're right. These instrumentals don't sound like they're about cocaine. No, exactly. I would not guess that this was a cocaine song just based on the music. Oh, just based off of the music. Right. Literally okay, only whatever. that. What? <laughs> okay. <don't> <laughs> that feels it definitely doesn't sound like a song written by somebody on cocaine, but I, any song can be about cocaine no matter how it sounds. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Being like, oh man, that piano sure doesn't sound like cocaine. Like, what? <laughs> okay, well, when you put it like that. Yeah, but like, certain songs present certain attitudes, and Ugg, despite its exasperated title, doesn't sound like it's bringing a, an exasperated attitude to the table. Gotcha. Yeah. I'll allow it. Thank you. Please, please do. I also love the bridge. The kick won't last for long, but the song only lasts three minutes because it took a lot of clever writing, took a lot of clever creating to get this song to match that line and end at three minutes on the dot. Yep. I think it's a pretty great choice. At least I do for now. Maybe later I'll have a change of heart. Ah, yes. Track four. The next track, She's Americana. Oh, okay. You want to do See? Yeah. See? See, that one was, was a little better. Yeah. She's American was a fast favorite for me. It was one of my one of my first favorites from this album. Sonically, it's really fun. It's got a good amount of sarcastic bite without being too mopey. <laughs> what? Sarcastic bite because half the lyrics are about teeth. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Good point. Good point. One of my notes for this song was uh, uh, which American told Matt that he needed to fix his teeth because he took it real hard. <laughs> I think he might have, yeah. Yeah, the whole song in general, it satirizes the perceived novelty of English people to Americans. So he lists off all these ways. And how we're so much better than them. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the perception. Um, he lists off all these ways to tell whether this girl is American. For example, if she likes it because we don't eat and we're intelligent. And hate his teeth specifically. Yeah, if she says I've got to fix my teeth. If she likes that we're socially relevant. If she takes drugs to escape. If she owns a gun divinely decreed and custom made. Great, great way to describe that, by the way. just It was such a weird song. I couldn't get past how many times he said the lyric. If she says I've got to fix my teeth. Like, it's... Like 50% of the song. It's a toothy song. <laughs> I just really uh, couldn't get past that. And the slowed down section um, where it gets all airy is good, but feels out of place. I don't know if it really belonged in the song. It is a little bit of an outlier of a line, but I just, I mean, I like some of the ideas that they put forward in the chorus, you know, or the pre-chorus at that. Don't fall in love with the moment and think you're in love with the girl. It's a, it's a cool concept. That she's American and she's going to ridicule your teeth first chance she gets it's so i yeah you're really latching onto that aren't you uh, he latched onto it 50 percent of what i had to, di to dissect sure maybe yeah maybe having you dissect this one was biting off more than you could chew yeah. this song might have been inspired by the band's time living in california to record this album where he obviously interacted with plenty of american women 
and their teeth, I suppose. <laughs> I also, I just love the, the bluntness of the line, your face has got a hold on me, but your brain is proper weird. Because if that's not the entire sentiment of this like whole song, nothing is. This is a proper weird song. No, it's a proper oh, fine no. song. It's fine. Weird can be, listen, weird is fine. All right, don't take me calling it weird as a negative thing. Sure. Podcast is weird. We're great. Yes, I agree. At least I would agree if I believe you. If I believe you is a really introspective song about Maddie working through his faith or lack thereof and wondering whether purpose is possible to discover without it. Is that a real organ at the beginning or is that a sense sounding like an organ? It's a great question. I couldn't tell. It's almost certainly a synthetic one. I figured it was, but, you know, I didn't want to assume. Yeah. No, I, I feel like it is. Also, clapping. Interesting choice. Is it? Ah, I, was, I wasn't expecting it. I was kind of like, okay. And then my immediately, I kind of stopped paying attention to the song so I could write down the note. Imagine playing this song in a room with clap-on-off lights. It'd be a funky little rave. <laughs> <laughs> a little rave because everyone's clapping. Uh, song, you know, as the song was playing, every time there's a clap, the lights would turn on and off. Well, I never thought about that. That would be pretty annoying. Also, I wrote down the note because uh, that first line is, I've got a God-shaped hole that's infected. And I was like, you should go see a doctor about that infection. Don't want it to get bad. Probably. Well, while you're there, maybe fix your teeth. <laughs> Sorry, I'm American. Hey, careful. He's sensitive about that. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely go get that checked out. I feel like you missed the, the tone of the song, <laughs> but... I did a little. Especially at the beginning. I, I got better as we went. Yeah, well, it's easier to pick up on as we go. There's a, a huge gospel influence on this track, and I think it's a really clever addition for a song with the subject matter, you know, about abandoning your faith to take such root in gospel music, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of uh, clever for its irony. And I think it also it just shows how well they can 1975-ify all kinds of different genres. And they go on to do it in other places throughout the album, but this is definitely 1975 gospel. Part of the problem was the song started with the synthetic organ sound, and then that first verse and pre-chorus wasn't really what I wanted. And so then when we hit the chorus, that's how I expected the whole song to sound based off of that intro. And so that first little bit, I was kind of taking out my whiplash anger from what I, from not getting what I wanted. Whip whiplash anger. Uh, I was whiplashed by the different sounds. I was like, oh, setting up this big like organ orchestral sound, and then they did the first verse in the pre-chorus, and then they hit you with it. And I was like, oh, I was kind of whiplash. Yeah, I guess it is coming down from she's American, but I think if I believe you, kicks off this long stretch of the album album that's almost like a like a whole saga from here up through at least somebody else i think we're really in this kind of vibe much more and i didn't even really mind the transition from she's american or she's americaner uh to this it was just the intro of this song and then takes kind of pivoting from that for the first verse and then back into that sound for the chorus i was like wait hang on now uh <laughs> i really like the trumpet instrumental that put in towards the end of the song oh yeah it's swell go ahead make a joke about the next one i don't have a joke about the next one i'm sorry why don't you uh please be naked <laughs> no the next song on the album track seven is called please be naked and it's the first entirely instrumental track on the album. We could record this episode naked. I had no idea. I don't want to do that. And no. Oh, fair enough. Please, please don't be naked. Pretty uh, definitive about that one. Podcast policy. Uh, instrumental song. You know me. Love an instrumental song. It was also an interesting title for a song to follow the very religiously themed one. Yeah, I suppose it is, isn't it? I like that wind that kind of blows at the start of the song. I also missed the tone on this one a little bit at the beginning. because It's starting with wind. They're naked outside. Better not be in public. Especially if you live next to Ronald Reagan like Barry Manilow did. 
Uh, but the piano is very pretty. Um, but there's a lot of that like white noise, just sounds, some some banging, some. Oh yeah, there's some banging. Some interesting sounds going along with the with the white noise kind of piano. But I liked it. It grew on me as it was going. I I, I decided it was a yes. A yes. Cool. Well, that's actually kind of the way that they designed it is to grow on you because I think they meant it for it to emulate the pleasure of like intimacy as it goes on, as it grows and it becomes more intense and you know as it goes on i wrote i kind of got into a bit of one of those connor fugue states uh during during this one where i was like uh this is a song i could sit in a dark room with a single lamp on in the corner illuminating a blank canvas i stare at while i get lost in my own head thinking about the past (laughs) (laughs) yeah are there many songs like that do you do that a lot uh, uh this one does this one uh, we found the first one <laughs> there's at least one maybe more yeah maybe we'll find out i was just the, that was just the tone and the feelings that this song provoked oh definitely absolutely i i agree with that and uh here's a fun fact about please be naked its placement as track seven parallels the placement of their first instrumental from their self-titled debut as well just another way that they tie in, you know, the same thing as the opening track with lyric borrowing and what they did on A Change of Heart. So that's an interesting little parallel. I like the way that they call back to all of their earlier stuff. It's very neat. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah, it sure is. It happens. What do you mean it happens? I guess it does. It's, that was a fact. It happens. It did happen. It did happen. I have no thoughts or feelings about how it happened because i'm not familiar with their previous work but it happened you have no thoughts or feelings have you lost your head i lost my head right yes all one word all one word lost my head is the next track on the album it's another song that borrows lyrics which in that first context talk about struggling to cope after someone has experienced a drug overdose this time it's way more introspective and personal about his own experience which i like and then i love it three and a half minutes ish where we we finally get that drum driven pulse into this song where we actually give it a spine and it stops being so amorphous i like that and uh, that same energy kind of continues on into the ballad of me and my brain indeed yeah we're we're really like i said on this really personal middle stretch of this album <laughs> this was a not really fluid uh transition in my head it was a bit of a jarring transition yes for me yeah well to start with the vocals chopped up and mixed around in this overlaid i don't even know what to call it wailing kind of it's not really wailing but you you get it all these vocal parts mix and mingle together it reminds me of like a church choir like just singing oh kind of yeah it gets that way it's that way um but i do like what they do with it once i adjusted um they kind of do this layered start thing where they add another component every so many measures so they get this full sound to jump into the first verse yes i liked i liked that i just wasn't ready for it right away you know they had me in this nice lulled state with please be naked and lost my head and then this one jumped out at you they shook me out of they shook you out of it Uh oh he kind of follows up the song about the literal losing of his head with this depiction of the search for his brain telling all these stories about how life has changed so greatly since he's become famous and i kind of like it you know he talks about how he can't go out to the to the sainsbury's anymore because he's getting recognized you know jumps on a bus can't do it it's just it's not the same he says has anybody seen my brain and people respond to him and say oh your brain was going for a run 
And would you like to sign an autograph for my daughter because she adores you? But I think you're, you're crap. You're no good. Like, can you imagine if that was what your life was like? That'd be wild. You know, that's happened. That does. That's happened to me all the time now that we have this podcast. I go to the store and people uh, see me and say, "Hey, aren't you the guy who talks on that podcast?" And I say, "Yeah, because we're super famous, right?" Yeah, Got it. I right. see. I see what lie we were telling ourselves. Sorry, I was. I, I wasn't aware that we were going for that. Yeah, that was that was the joke. Gotcha. Yes, super super famous podcast number one uh, record ranking podcast with the title spin and it that's at least what we claim i think it's definitely more of a lighthearted lyric a little playful allegorical story than something like lost my head and in that way uh, i think it kind of works it's an okay song solidly mid-tier yeah if i were making cuts from the album this one would be way closer to the wayside for me gotcha i like it well enough i don't know next up is track 10 we're making our way through the album uh somebody else somebody else as you might expect, it's it's a song about coming to terms with and processing all the feelings that happen when you see your ex with somebody else. I really like this song. You liked it? Yeah, this was a good one. They do some more of that stereo sound effect where the sound ping pongs. That's true. It does. It's a lot of back and forth. I really like the lyric uh, intertwining your soul with somebody else. I like that one. Good lyric. That was one I highlighted, too. It's in bold in my notes. I don't want your body, but I hate to think about you with somebody else. Our love has gone cold. You're intertwining your soul. Certified poetry. I also think that this song is kind of when I started to feel like, wow, they really just beat some of these lyrics to death. (laughs) For example, uh, I, I don't want your body. I hate to think about you with somebody else. I don't know how many times they say that, but it's a lot. Mm hmm. Yeah, but and typically that's something I... I nitpick on, but for this one, they do it in like that airy, repetitive, you know, I don't want your body, I don't want your body section, but what they're doing with the instrumentals are just so fun to listen to. I kind of was able to ignore the repetitive lyrics because I was so focused on the instrumentals. Yeah, I agree. It's way more of an ambiance thing than a lyrical thing in, in this case. And for most of this album, I mean, that's what they do is they build these massive soundscapes where those ideas are just drilled into your brain. And so I think it's, you know, definitely got intent behind it. You really like somebody else. I really like loving someone. It's another one of my top contenders. Not like top, top, but high tier. Really? This one had my least favorite start. Okay. Oh, yeah, it starts weaker. You're right. I'll give you that. And I did that like synth rhythm after the chorus wasn't really what i wanted either wah, 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 wah. yeah yeah it, it didn't quite do what i wanted i don't know what i wanted but it wasn't that <laughs> yeah <laughs> fair enough nme reviewed this song and they called it a half-wrapped social observation including lines on how the media and popular culture conditions its youth and they really liked the lyric i'm the greek economy of cashing intellectual checks which, I don't know if that line is, is even relevant anymore in 2022. But at the time, right, the Greek economy was kind of at a low point. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hip on the Greek economy right now, so I don't know if that still matter, if that's still relevant or not. I don't know, Greek economy. If you're listening, how are you doing? Yeah, what's up with you? How you been? So I, I need to know what have you, what have you done to me? Great question. Uh, you're talking about with this album or just in general? Yeah, well, it's just this with this song. I also like this rapish verse thing. 
Like, what am I becoming? What have you done to me to get me to say that? Lil Nas X started the unraveling. Yes, you've done something to me on this podcast, and I don't know. I don't know if I like it. Well, it's too late to go back now. The process has already begun. I I think you like a lot of the internal rhymes. Think about it. My heart is telling me the telly isn't telling me anything, but it keeps selling me integrity. There's a lot. It's it's jam packed of interesting sounds. Mm-hmm. Just keep holding their necks. Next, that's a weird line. And it doesn't stop. I mean, that verse one is full. Verse two is the same thing. It's just everywhere. Yeah, they do a lot of good rhythm play. And they use a lot of high rhythm count or high syllable count words. And so you, they can have play with the rhythms. And that's, I think the verses are really what carry this. The chorus, you're right, is weaker. Loving someone, loving someone. It's not musically very interesting. It's not lyrically very interesting. And it's just kind of there. But the verses are really where it's at. This is a verse song. But you know what song is not a verse song? Track number 12. I like it when you sleep, for you are so beautiful, yet so unaware of it. Title track time! That is the title track, yep. TTT. TTT time. Quadruple T. Well, how is there four? What? title Is title track time time? Uh, yes. Quadruple T. TTT time. Title, title track talk time. No, I think title track time time. Whatever. This song, did it trick you into thinking it was an instrumental? Uh, so they like they really like to do these like pseudo instrumentals. Yes. Pseudo. Nope. Nope. Pseudo. Pseudo instrumentals. I like them. They do a lot of fun instrumental play with these, so I don't mind that they're just saying the same lyric over and over and over, because that's not the point of the song. The point of the song is, the, like, all the instrumental work going on, so it's a, it's a pseudo-instrumental, and pseudo-instrumentals still have a special place in my heart, right alongside, but separate from the rest of the instrumentals. Is it a lesser place in your heart, or is it slightly higher? Oh, I, no. Uh, oh, oh, who's to say? You just made a lot of sounds. <laughs> So I don't know exactly what that means, but who's to say I? It's up up to interpretation. That was my that was my uh, politician answer. Wow, oh, you're a great politician. You know I don't I don't I don't want I don't want a soundbite of me calling them lesser songs. Uh, if I were to ever like say I like one better than another instrumental, people would be like, well, which is it? So now the only soundbite they have is me being a monster. <laughs> Let's see. So it's for consistency's sake. I think we have to give this song a Spin It Award. Oh? I think this song has to win, at at least at this moment, the longest title Spin It Award. Spin It Longest Title. Unless you can think of a longer one. I think this wins in terms of word count, character length, and syllables. It's the longest in our heart, and so it can have the award, regardless of if it truly is the longest. It's the longest that I can think of right now, so it is the longest ever. The title of this song, I Like It When You Sleep For You're So Beautiful Yet So Unaware Of It, is derived from a phrase that Maddie once said to his girlfriend. So it's it's a that's a Healy original. And where did he get it from? It's original. He got it from himself. I just love the otherworldly sound of this track. It's just so surreal. I like to think it's Jupiter. Otherworldly? Yeah, this is a Jupiter track. Uh, you thought I was going to argue with that, didn't you? I, uh, no, I, I, genu- I know I went somewhere weird with it, but I genuinely think if you had to pick another planet, Jupiter would be a... Uh... 
high on the list. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. If you had to pick another planet for this song, maybe Neptune. It doesn't. It's not quite. It's not got enough bass to it to be Neptune. Jupiter is a lot of gas. And got very airy instrument. It's perfect. See, it found the thread. It works. It makes sense. I like how it loses steam, but then it really gets its second wind at like three and a half minutes. <laughs> I don't know if you were already planning to say that statement, but after we just talked about that Jupiter was a gas planet and you used airy and steam and all these other like air related words. <laughs> it was actually, it's actually in my notes verbatim about how it loses steam <laughs> and gets a second wind. So I guess it really is the Jupiter song. Spin a Jupiter award. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Spin It longest title award in the Spin It <laughs> Jupiter Award. This is this is a gas giant of a song. However, I don't think it's as gas giant of a song on the record as the next song, The Sound, which I'm going to go on record, and I, I think The Sound is my favorite. Really? Yeah, this one's hard to beat for me. According to Maddie, he says, It wears its pop on its sleeve and is kind of unabashed. There hasn't been a vehicle for us to do that yet. This album is perfect for The Sound because it's juxtaposed with everything the album is. And I think that makes good sense. Don't mind me. I'm just re-listening to my top threes because I'm going to have to pick one. Oh. Because it sounds like this is going to be your podcast, your playlist pick. <laughs> Maybe. I better go really decide which one I want. Yeah, I, I just like the sound. It's the very 1980s pop vibe. I'm not surprised this is actually high on your list because my two notes on the song were repeating the chorus twice at the start is kind of meh, but it works because the style is completely different. Yeah, they've faded in like they do. And then, but my second note was this chorus is going to be the annoyingly catchy chorus that gets stuck in my head, even though the song itself is kind of meh. So the fact that it's the super catchy, annoying one, that, that tracks to be one of your fast favorites. Annoying. <laughs> it's not annoyingly catchy. Like, it's one of those ones that it can really ear, earworm its way in and take root. Yeah, and you'll always know when it's around because you know the sound. You know the sound of the sound. Are you done? Yeah, it didn't land. <laughs> I, I really love that lyric, though. I know when you're around because I know the sound of your heart. Like, I know you so intimately and so personally that I can tell you apart from anyone anywhere. Edgar Allan Poe over here. It is a little Edgar Allan Poe-y, <laughs> isn't it? The Telltale Heart. I want I want a version of The Telltale Heart where this song is in it as he's, like, pacing around with the heartbeat, like, beating. Oh, like, this is, yeah, like, this. we can make a parody of A Telltale Heart to the tune of this song. To the, add that to the Spin It To-Do list. Right, added. Consider it added. Plus... Other other gem of a line in this one. I said I love you. What does it matter if I lie to you? I think it matters quite a lot, actually. <laughs> it does matter quite a lot. It does. Especially if you're lying about that first statement. My favorite line in the song, and honestly one of the highlight lyrics for me on the album, was in verse 2. Yeah? Which one's that? The sycophantic, prophetic, Socratic, junkie wannabe. Yeah, that's a lot of words. That's... that's word salad yeah it is i just like calling somebody a socratic junkie i like to make people think i'm gonna be a socratic junkie but then i don't actually uh give them any philosophy they call me a socrates <sighs> i was like where's this going <laughs> <laughs> i had to set it up it didn't work are you awake right now no this must be my dream i dream about spin it I, I, I dream episodes you dream episodes. Well, then this must be your dream. I already said that. Can't just say the same thing I said. Make another Socrates joke. I don't have another Socrates joke. <laughs> this must be my dream is another one of my favorites. 
and is actually, I think, one of the first 1975 songs I ever knew. So maybe it's just nostalgia. This is another one that just wasn't what I wanted. Or as I said in my notes, the long-held nit on the pre-chorus isn't what I wanted. I forgot the O in note. You, you forgot the O in note? Well, in my note, the O is missing. Yeah, that's a shame. But I do like the chorus. It's a good chorus. It is a good chorus. And it's one of those things, it's like these moments that aren't what I think I want may end up being what I ultimately want as I listen to the songs more. Just off of one listen, it's not something that was like instant. You know, it's not something that like immediately clicked with me. But it's one of those things I can see clicking with me in the future. It's not an instant no, like some songs and some albums. Yeah. And I think that's relevant by the time we hit the pre-chorus uh, the second time around in this song. It's already like 10 times better. And I don't know if that's just because of what they're layering on top of it the second time around or if it's truly just clicked with me the second time around. I don't know. It'll be fun to re-listen and find out. I'm excited for you to re-listen and find out. I'll do it right now. Well, I mean, <laughs> maybe wait. I like the lyrics on this one, too. I personify the adolescent on the phone speaking like I'm bigger than my body and... Uh, the whole, I'm sure she'll be gone in a second thing. Like, he thinks that she's going to rearrange his world, but it's not working out. So we get this contrast of, this must be my dream, but also, wake me from my dream. Like, it's not everything I thought I wanted it to be. I love the great instrumental at the end of this. And I also, I just love that stinger of a line, we can't make love when you fly around me, baby. That must be what birds think every spring. Next up on the track list is Nana. Had a more acoustic start. That was a fresh take. It was a fresh take, and it has a more acoustic finish, too. It's a fresh take throughout. This uh, uh, this song had the most buffoonish rhyme on the album. Any guesses as to what I think it was? Oh, let me take a guess. The most buffoonish rhyme. Well, it can't be. It can't be Fleece and Denise. Oh, it's Fleece and Denise. <laughs> what a dumb rhyme. What? You don't get to call, go, what, when you were picking apart uh, Barry Manilow's name <laughs> rhymes. Get out of here. Well, I, I mean, listen, listen. The thing about Fleece and Denise, Denise is actually his mother. Well, I don't care. The line is dumb. So I reached for a borrowed fleece from my dad or from Denise. Like, what? No. Okay. Stop it. <laughs> All right. Fine. Bad. Fine. Fleece is a stretch, maybe. But uh, so the whole point of this song is that Maddie's trying to cope with the passing of his grandma, Annie, when he wrote the song. So it's another very heartfelt one. It was a cute little song, but there wasn't anything really special. What? About it in my mind that like made it stand out compared to some of these other songs on this album. Like it kind of gets a little lost. Hmm. Because I think it's got that more softened and laid back and not in your face tone to it as compared to some of the other songs. I don't know. This one, it only, it stood out in its uniqueness from the rest of the album, but that's a about it. its distinct sound is about all it had going for it in terms of standing out okay i mean that's fair that's fair but it is super special to him and he writes it like a conversation to his grandma kind of what he would say if she was still around which i think is pretty powerful yeah that's that's great I, I like all that when you got things like the sound and harris and all these other songs that are way more memorable it's a cute little song i like it it's it's nice in its own little bubble but in the context of the album that's true, but I kind of I kind of take that like, you know, it's a change in intensity from the rest of the record. And I think it's kind of beneficial that it pumps the brakes so much and it pulls us out of the world of this album because I think it parallels how significantly his own actual world gets turned upside down when his grandma dies. So take that. So they're taken. And finally, we wrap up this monster of a 17-track album with 
she lays down. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. She lays down is a song about postnatal depression. More specifically, Maddie is kind of imagining what his own mother felt after his birth. He says that his mom uh, told him a story. Uh, this is a quote. He says, when I was about 17, she was so gripped by postnatal depression that she was coming into my room when I was a couple of months old, lying on the floor and actively trying to love me. So that's where we get a lot of these different lyrics. She lays on her bedroom floor. Can you guess what my first note's going to be about the song? Is it going to be, you hated it? <laughs> no, it's going to be, get this rustling and groaning out of here. <laughs> rustling and groaning? You didn't like that? The, what uh, What about my opinions on uh, literally every other album that's had anything remotely similar to this made you think I would love that? I don't know. thought maybe I'd have a change of heart. <laughs> see, see, I referenced another song. I did it. I did a thing. You did a thing. Good job. That's your one musical reference for the episode. I, I always guarantee you one. Except for when I don't. Right. I guess I can't be surprised that you didn't like the groaning. And I felt like these last two songs have been a pretty big departure from the rest of the album in terms of sound. Yes. Absolutely. Which better negatively impact your cohesiveness of the album when we get to your darn score because you've picked apart some of my choices for that. I don't know how I feel about it, though. Okay, okay. Very fair. I do like that that last line of the song is spoken. It serves as a nice closer to the album. The little, that was it? Mm-hmm. There's a story behind that. Uh, Maddie had just finished with the last song, Nana. He was writing it, right? And it's obviously a very emotional song about the death of his grandma, and he was crying. And so while he was crying, the producer said, maybe do a take of She Lays Down while you're so emotionally distraught. And so that's what happened. And uh, according to them, the that was it at the end was kind of an acknowledgement that this was the best take, that they couldn't have done it any better if they tried. So, you know, that was it. It's like, yes, this was the emotion that we wanted. This is the best take we could do. That was it. And it's also an awesome way to close the album. It's very, the, very finite. And with that, I suppose it's time we spin our way into the final spin. Final spin time now, as promised initially. The final spin you've all known and loved and come to expect from us. If you didn't expect it, well, surprise. Surprise. <laughs> this is it. It's here. I'm going to start with scores, since that seems to be what we want to do now with the playlist picking. Committing to the to the new form rather than trying to sh force me to give my stuff before you tell me your score. I've got some notes on your conditional form, but we'll get there. I think, so I'm going to give a lot of notes. This has been 17 tracks. I've said a lot of what I need to say. I've just got a brief little blurb, and then I'll hit you with scores. I think you have to buy into this record like it's a concept record. If you're not all in, this is a drag. It's a 75-minute slog of synth. If you're with it, if you're all in, wow, is it thorough. It's super immersive. It's these sweeping soundscapes. It takes you through so many different phases and stages and emotions of life. And I think that ambience is helped along by these really long stretches of instrumentals and these really vivid, repetitive lyrics that just drive home every theme. They just drill it straight into your brain. I think the consequence of it being so ambient is that some moments of it feel forgettable on their own, but they strengthen the album so much that they're all very essential parts of the listening experience. And other songs, right, like The Sound, like She's American, like Love Me, they're going to be stuck in your head because they have that earworm 
writing capability. So, I think this record is a win from the 1975. It's way less singles-oriented than their debut record, but it marks a departure from that initial style in a direction that I think has been super beneficial for them, and I definitely would call the 1975, like, an album band. You know, you really kind of have to listen to the whole record. So I'm giving music an 82. Melodically, there's a lot of moments that are kind of lulls, and that's fine. Lyrically, I'm giving this album a 94. I think a lot of these lyrics are pretty incisive and surprising. That one's for you, Denise. That one's for Denise and her borrowed fleece. 94 on the lyrics. <laughs> I'm giving instruments and production maybe a bit on the low side, uh, but I'm giving it a 92. I think the instruments and production definitely contribute a lot to this album. And I don't know. I, I think, no, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back on that. I think 92 is about right. It's not on the low side. That's just where it is for me. And the overall vibe, it's a 91. You know, uh, the album does have some moments that pull you out of it, like you said, like at the end, these acoustic little tracks. I don't think they pull you out of it in a bad way, but still, it's a vibe shift. It's a departure. Overall, this album's getting a score of 89.4, which puts it solidly at number 96 for now. Uh, just barely not getting that 90. Nope, nope, just 0. 0.6 points shy of the 90. However, still in the top 100, I would call this a pretty good album. Call every album on your list a pretty good album? Not everyone, but yes, most. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that brings it to me now. I guess it does. Should I do my top three and my, then my score? Should I do my score and then we'll both break down our picks? And then like, what do you, you want to do here? I think you should give me your top three. My top three. All right. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. My top three in album order. Can we do reverse album order? You just You just always do album order. I feel like that's going to confuse some of our listeners, but I can I can do it. Yeah, just try it. See how it feels. going to feel backwards, but here we go. My top three in reverse album order. Our bonus track, How to Draw. Really? I really liked it. I, I truly did. The, the, the image, the, again, that imagery of the, how they really, the, what they do with three short lines of lyrics. They really set you up and knock you down perfectly. They execute it very well. That's true. Then it goes, Paris... Somebody else, honorable mention, please be naked, a change of heart, love me. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we took six for the top three. Oh no. Which means for the next two, uh, for the next two, I'm down of choice because I usually take four for my top three. So I'm only actually taking an additional two. That's right. Yeah, you'll be down a top three pick. For your next two episodes. Uh-huh. Until the final episode of year one. That's our year anniversary is coming right up. That's true. So, well, yeah. I'll tell you what. I, I just really... I can't. Don't you, don't you be cutting me off. I'm not done. <laughs> I do really like a lot of what they do on this album. The, the instrumentals are on point. They do these fun, lofty... Uh, sounding, you know, vocals that just, they hit, they hit perfectly in a way that a lot of lofty vocals typically don't. I don't know, a lot of these songs just really earwormed their way into me. That's why I ended up taking six of them. Because uh, I, I know I said I'd cut Paris, but I had to throw it back in there. I just couldn't not uh, include it. As for my playlist pick, I have a feeling none of the six I named are going to be your pick. But for mine, I think I have to go with Love Me. That's a great pick. If if I was going to pick one of your six, 
that would be close to the top. It'd probably be that one. It was probably between Love Me and A Change of Heart. I think Love Me stands out more. It's got that unique bubba da da ba that bounces at the beginning. Yeah, it's a fun song. So I think I'm going to go with Love Me. Okay, great pick. I think uh, I shouldn't be surprised that you took six. This album has 17 tracks. The ratio is about in check for songs picked per <laughs> per album. Yeah, you're right. No, the ratio is the same. I think I'm going to go with the sound. Yeah. Can't resist. Can't resist the sound. I love the sound of it. What can I say? As for my score. I'm curious about this one. I, ha- I agreed with pretty much everything you had to say in your analysis. So I'm going to give this one eight Jupiters out of ten. Eight. Eight out of ten. That's I'm excited about that. Yep, it's going to slot in right above Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins, right below We Are by John Batiste. Okay, that's a good spot to slot. Good slot spot. It's a good slot spot. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with an eight. And, uh, you know, as for Jupiter's, this does have some Gas Giant songs on it. Very airy, very storm-ridden, and (laughs) I don't know, tumultuous. (laughs) Some very big sounds in here. Some rings. The, you know, the instrumentals ring in your ear. A lot of songs. Jupiter has a lot of moons. I don't know. I'm, listen, I'm just trying to make this work for you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> thanks for participating in this episode. <laughs> Those of you that were here. If you are craving more spinet content, and I know you are, if you want Mr. Serotonin Man to visit you a little extra this week, check out our socials. At SpinItPod on Twitter and at SpinItPod Official on Instagram and on the web at www.spinitpod.com, official home of SpinItPod. We'll see you next week for another exciting episode as we edge our way closer to the one year anniversary of SpinIt. Keep spinning! Keep spinning! Note to the editor, add Mr. Serotonin Man to the list song Oh, that's right. Yeah, Mr. Serotonin Man. Maybe he could feature on one of your songs. Well, he's a pretty busy guy with Christ's book of now. Is he busy? Seems like lately he's not been visiting too many people. Bum, 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 bum.